morning I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and make your way to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter number 22. We're going to be reading two verses in 1 Samuel chapter number 22. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. And that will serve the basis for the message today. Those will be our text verses. 1 Samuel chapter 22 verses 1 and 2. Notice in 1 Samuel chapter 22 verses 1 and 2. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Agilom. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about four hundred men. This morning we'll be speaking on this subject, honoring David's veterans. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time to be in your house today. Lord, it seems as though when we gather together, we are so reminded of our shortcomings, our failures, and our sins. And Lord, how that in our own selves, we have a depraved nature that is against all that you are. And we thank you so much for your marvelous grace in showing favor to the undeserving. Lord, we thank you for your mercy in having pity uh, to those that are suffering and, and in the thralls of sin, throes of sin. We just thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. And Lord, today as we think upon this topic, Lord, help us to <clears throat> think of the role that veterans play in the history and the continuing saga of our nation. And Lord, help us to be thankful to you and for providing them and to the sacrifices that they and their families have made. And Lord, help us to make the connection through the passage of Scripture today. Lord, to see that uh, your word is perfect and preserved and it gives us all that we need uh, for life. And Lord, uh, even in these areas such as something as simple as Veterans Day, we see your word giving us guidance. And we pray that you would be exalted and lifted up in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Honoring David's veterans. As we've mentioned in the announcements, Veterans Day is this coming Saturday. It is an important day, though it might be often overlooked. It is an official day by which the United States honors the service of military members past and present. It is designed to give thanks for those that have faithfully served and honorably served our country in either war or peacetime. It was originally termed Armistice Day and first uh, observed in November of 1919, November 11th of 1919, and that's how we get the date of November 11th. It was the first anniversary of the end of World War I. Now, Veterans Day is different than Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a day in which our nation sets aside to pay tribute to all of those that gave their lives in combat. And so... Uh, on Memorial Day, uh, that's not designed for me or you who are still here and served in the military. That's designed to honor those who gave their lives, paid the ultimate price, made the ultimate sacrifice. Veterans Day is also not Armed Forces Day. Armed Forces Day is a relatively new day in which our nation pays tribute to all of those who are currently serving in the nation's armed forces. And so, we're talking today about Veterans Day, a day to honor all of those that have served past and present, wartime or peacetime, in this nation's uniformed services 
in giving their all selflessly and sacrificially. And when I say giving their all, all that they had to give. Now, it is right for our nation to again pay respect to all of those that have served in uniform. I could branch off and get on my bully pulpit today and ask why we have a Pride Month, but only a Veterans Day. And I'll reserve that. I think you know how I feel about that. Uh, I'm not sure how all of these different groups get a whole month and veterans get a day, right? You know, so uh, just so you have that, right? But it's right for our nation to pay respects to those who have selflessly served our country. And that includes the families of service members that have given their devoted uh, uh, fidelity to not only their loved ones, but also this nation, right? Now, in context of what we, re- we read in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, our text verses, I hope that you remember what has taken place here. Saul, King Saul, was moved by pride when he saw uh, praises being given to David for all that David had accomplished in warfare, right? And Saul was moved by pride and and delusion and his narcissistic and abusive behavior. And so he intends to kill David. And David's close friend Jonathan, Saul's son, warns David about what's going to happen. And so David goes on the run. And he flees from the palace and he finds himself, first of all, going to Gath of the Philistines to find help and refuge. And that doesn't work. And so Now here he is, he's out here alone where? In a cave. Kind of like what Brother Steve was mentioning with Neander. He's an outcast, he's out there living in a cave. Well David is an outcast and he's holed up here, he's escaped as the text tells us to the cave Adjalam. He has nobody there to help him, he is alone. And then, seemingly out of nowhere certain ones start showing up to show their support to David. Ones who would form the basis for David's fighting force. These would become David's veterans and dare I say Israel's veterans because this core really forms the basis for the army that would rule over Israel and help Israel Uh, fight their battles when David ascended to the throne in succeeding Saul. Now as we honor David's veterans, I hope that we can make the connection with our veterans. We're going to look at certain aspects in discussing how we honor David's veterans, and I hope that we can make the connection as to how we should honor our veterans for all of the different ways in which David's veterans displayed fidelity, honor, and service, we find that that is true also of this nation's veterans. And so there are three aspects of David's veterans that help us honor them. And we should think on these three aspects when we think on honoring our veterans. So we see, first of all, the creation of David's fighting force. The creation of David's fighting force. Secondly, the cultivation of David's fighting force. And then thirdly, the conquests of David's fighting force. All of these really serve the basis as to how we should honor these men that joined themselves to David and eventually became the army of Israel and how we should honor 
our veterans, and of course in doing so, we're honoring God for providing the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation. And so notice this first aspect of David's veterans that help us honor them. The creation of David's fighting force. How was this group formed? We read about this group in verse number 2, right? It, it, and we'll read that again as we look into the, the text and get into the body of the message this morning. But how was this group formed? How did it come to be? Who and why answers the call to serve? Because these men were answering the call to serve. Now this begins, right? The creation of David's fighting force. It begins with, first of all, the cause. The cause. There must be a cause. Now remember, and we just we just recited a little bit of the history and the context of what's taking place here in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. David is a fugitive. He has left Gath of the Philistines and he's taken refuge in the cave Agilom, which is a large underground cavern that historically is reported to be situated not far from Bethlehem. So he's not getting too far away from the homeland. And he conceals himself from Saul. Saul is breathing out these slaughterings. And he's almost in a rage trying to find David. And here we find David. And remember who David is. <coughs> David is the man who by God's grace slew the giant Goliath when no one else would stand up to him. David is the one when they sang praises, they said Saul is slain as thousands and David is ten thousands. David was a mighty warrior. He was a hero in Israel. And where do we find him? Hold up in this cave fleeing from Saul. Now do you know that it was at this time when David was alone in the cave Agilom that he penned or authored the 57th Psalm and the 142nd Psalm. Now, to get an idea about the cause, right? How did this group get formed? What was the, how did the creation of David's fighting force come about? Well, first of all, there was a cause. And I want you to know and understand a little bit about this cause. And we can do that by reading what David himself wrote in Psalms 142, verses 1 through 4. The 142nd Psalm, verses 1 through 4. And I want you to see how that God's divine intervention worked in creating this fighting force that was driven, first of all, by the cause. Notice Psalm 142. We'll read the, the introduction of the psalm. It says, A Moscow of David... A prayer when he was in the cave. This is the cave Agilom. And then notice verses 1 through 4. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privately laid a snare for me. Now walk. I looked, this is verse 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Can you just envision David, the hero of Israel, the mighty warrior that slew Goliath and chopped his head off and, 
and, and gave confidence to the army of Israel. And, and David gave all credit, honor, and glory to the Lord God Almighty. Here's the hero of Israel on the run from King Saul. Of all the people that should he should have been able to trust, he should have been able to trust King Saul. And here he is, he's on the run and he's holed up in this cave. And he looks around and nobody is there with him. As David himself said, when he saw the armies of Israel fleeing in, in fear from Goliath, David said, is there not a cause? Well, as you see the events taking place here, is there not a cause? David had done nothing wrong, and he's all alone. There was a cause. God answers the call of David by burdening some men to rise to the cause. Is this not how our veterans answer the call to serve us? There is a cause. Now look, I get it. I understand that some people some people enlist and, and join the armed forces for what it can do for them, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's honorable. But there are some people that answer the call because of the cause. And I've mentioned this man multiple times before, mainly on Memorial Day because he gave his life in defense of this nation, but a guy by the name of Pat Tillman who played professional football for the Arizona Cardinals and had a contract before him for millions of dollars and he turned that contract down, why? To enlist in the United States Army. He didn't go in as an officer, he enlisted in the United States Army, why? Because he saw what took place on September 11th of 2001 and he was moved by a cause. Beloved, the creation of David's fighting force came about because they saw that there was a cause. We ought to honor our veterans who have answered the call to service because there is a cause. What greater cause is there than to wear this nation's uniform and be willing to give your life in defense of the freedoms for which we enjoy in this nation? Beloved, there's a cause. A.W. Pink commenting on these, these, these folks that answered the call to duty in 1 Samuel chapter 22 verses 1 and 2 listen to what A.W. Pink wrote he said now their love was tested now an opportunity was furnished them to manifest their affections for him or David this was the hour of David's unpopularity he was outlawed from the court a fugitive from Saul he was dwelling in a cave now was the time for devotion to David to be clearly exhibited. But only those who truly loved him could be expected to throw in their lot with such a hated outcast. And so it was. Only those that were loyal to David and the cause were willing to link up with him. Our vets have risen to the occasion and answered the call to higher duty. Now look, I, I, don't, <clears throat> I want to be clear about this. Uh, I, I don't look down on those who have not served. I don't. But I also know that if you have served, you have a greater knowledge of what it takes for the freedoms that we enjoy. And it absolutely kills me to hear people talk about our freedoms and they've never lifted a finger to secure any of those freedoms. Look, man, we don't have conscription in the United States. You don't get drafted into the military. You know, in Israel, every person serves... Uh, we don't have that here. And so for somebody to be willing to uproot themselves from their family 
and go wherever it is that they're called to go to answer the call, they have realized that there is a higher cause. Abraham Lincoln, our great president, wrote, Honor to the soldier and sailor everywhere who bravely bears his country's cause. Honor also to the citizen who cares for his brother in the field and serves as best he can the same cause. And so there's other ways to serve uh, your nation, but thanks be to those that have answered the call in our military, our veterans. We honor veterans just like we honor David's veterans. Now, we've looked here at the creation of David's fighting force as it relates to the cause. But I want you to notice, secondly, in relation to the creation of David's fighting force, the composition of his fighting force. Who was in David's fighting force? Now, I want us to note, first of all, that it was the faithful. It was the faithful. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, again, look at verse number 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Agilom, and when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. It was the faithful, it was David's family and others that showed up and showed fidelity to David and the cause. That's who composed this fighting force. You know, basic training is designed to weed out those that cannot serve in the military. That's what it's designed to do. And I, I don't know much about our modern-day military. I know back in 1982 when I first went to basic training for the Army, uh, it, it, it probably wasn't like it is now. Okay, And I've told you stories before, man. I can remember I had a, I had a, a squad room. I was a squad leader, and so there was two of us in a room right by the drill sergeant's office and the and the other guys were upstairs on the in the top bunks there in the uh, barracks type dorm thing, and I could, you know, I could hear the drill sergeant call those guys down that were screwing up and messing up, and they'd be lined up along the highway out there, and they'd go in and see the drill sergeant, and then you'd hear this, you'd hear, you'd hear stuff getting thrown up against the wall, and the guy'd come out and he'd be wiping tears out of his eyes. Look, man, doesn't take a brain surgeon to understand what was going on in there. Like, these guys better get their stuff together or, you know, they're going to be in more trouble. Well, listen, uh, it's not that way anymore, I'm sure, okay? And, and I'm, not, I'm not necessarily espousing that, okay? But I'm just saying that these are folks that were willing to be faithful and show up and show fidelity to David in spite of the cost. These were folks, these were folks secondly, that were flawed. They were flawed. I just read to you... Verse 2, and let's read that again. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. Now, I believe that these folks mentioned in verse 2 have gotten a bad rap. And I would say that I'm probably guilty of this in messages passed through the years. Painting these guys out as somehow though they're the misfits of society and no one else would want them. And so what do they do? They join themselves to David. Okay, They have no other options. Isn't that how the military is sometimes portrayed? And you hear those out in Hollywood. You know, I think of Stephen King and some of the comments that he made uh, during the first Gulf War, or not the first Gulf War, but immediately after 9-11 took place. 
you know, and, oh man, listen, if you if you don't have any other options, you go to the military. Wrong, wrong. Some of the brightest minds that have ever lived have served in the military and had their start there. And so, listen, that is a fallacy. It is a fallacy to look at this and say, well, look, it's only these that really couldn't do anything else that joined uh, themselves up with David. That is not true. It is true that they were flawed. And it is true that all of us are flawed. Now look at this. They were, first of all, in distress. Everyone uh, that was in distress. They were in anguish. And I believe they were in anguish about seeing what had happened to David and what was taking place in the government under Saul. Does that sound familiar today? You you know anybody that's in anguish uh, about what's taking place in our nation today? Notice they were in debt. And it's believed that this was through opposition uh, from what the government was taking from them. Have you looked at your tax bill lately? You know how much you pay in taxes? Oh, well, I only pay pay, uh, my taxes one time a year on April 15th. That's wrong. You pay taxes on anything that you buy. You pay taxes on gas. Uh, you pay Social Security tax. You pay income tax. You pay state tax. I mean, we are taxed to the death, right? And, and so uh, it isn't just that these people had run up all these debts irresponsibly, and now they're trying to run from the responsibility of paying their debts. No, they were oppressed through the government taking their property. Read the account of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. And they lost everything. They lost all their possessions. They were in debt, not because they were foolish in how they handled their financial affairs, but because they had a love for freedom and they wanted to see freedom and religion prosper in this new nation. Right. So they're in distress, they're in debt, and they're discontented. Again, I believe that it means that they're discontented with Saul's government and the conduct of Saul in trying to hunt down David when David hadn't done anything but give his best for the nation of Israel. You know, Psalm Proverbs 29, uh, verse number 2, speaks about the, the outcome in a nation when the righteous are in authority and when the wicked are in authority. And do you know when at the Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous bear rule, uh, the people are uh, joyful and, and they're excited about that and they thank God for that. But when the wicked beareth rule, you know what the people do? They mourn. They mourn. They're grieved. Could I say they're in distress and discontented? Now, lest you think that I've lost my mind on this point, listen to what Joseph Benson wrote about this. This is Joseph Benson in his commentary. He writes, It does not appear from this description that these were men of abandoned characters and profligate principles, as some have thought, who joined themselves to David purposely to cheat their creditors and for the sake of the plunder they were in hopes of getting under him. Indeed, had this been the case, David would not have been able to keep them under the strict order and discipline under which we find he did keep them, But we should have read of their plundering and murdering and committing other outrages. Nor would they have continued with him so long and abode with him in dreary forests, destitute of most of the conveniences and comforts of life, or have followed him whithersoever he was disposed to lead them. 
This is not the temper or behavior of men of profligate principles, and therefore there is reason to conclude that they were persons who were brought into distress and poverty by other causes. And I agree with what he's saying. Yes, these uh, men that formed the composition of David's fighting force, they were flawed. But it is not as though they didn't have anything else and they were the worst of the worst of society. They were flawed. And then notice, lastly, the composition of David's fighting force, there were a few of them. There were few. Now notice it says here in verse number 2, um, and there were with him, last part of verse number 2, and there were with him about 400 men. Only 400. Out of all the people of Israel, out of all the tribes of Israel, only 400 joined up with David. This is a relatively small number in uh, relation to all of the population of Israel. If you go back and you look at the numbering of the tribes and all the people, you're talking millions of people. And here we find that only 400 joined up with David. It's so it is in our nation. Only a relative few in number uh, say that they will sacrifice all to serve this nation. Now, I know, I know that it's the Marines, and I love, I love, I love our brethren, the Marines. Okay, you know the few, the proud, the Marines. You know what? The Air Force is few in number. The Navy's few in number. The Army's few in number. All right, I'll put the Coasties in there, even though they're not part of the you know Department of Defense, right? The Coast Guard, I'll put them in there. They're few in number. You say, well, man, you look at the Air Force. I remember when I joined the Air Force back in 1984 under President Reagan, the force was over 650,000, okay? And when I separated and retired, it was under uh, 350,000. I don't know what it is now. But when you look at the population of the United States and able-bodied people and young people that could be serving in our nation's uniformed services, they are few in number. They are relatively few who are willing to stand up and for the cause of preserving for and fighting for this nation's freedoms are willing to say, you know what, I'll go. Here am I, send me. And so the composition of David's uh, fighting force leads us to honor them. They were few in number, and we ought to honor those who are few in number who have d- said that they would give their all to serve this great nation. So the first aspect that we consider here in honoring David's veterans, and by way of making application honoring our veterans, is the creation of David's fighting force. But secondly, we look at the cultivation of David's fighting force. David's fighting force didn't remain with just the 400. It multiplied, it grew, not only in number, but in ability. Notice that the cultivation of David's fighting force, their growth in number and ability, first of all, it could be attributed to the fact that they were under expert command. They were under expert command. Now back in verse number 2, we skipped over this part in commenting, but now let's go back and grab it and focus on this. In verse number 2 it says, right before the last phrase there it says and he became a captain over them do you see that David became a captain over them the word captain there means head person or general if you've ever served in the military uh, what's higher than a general now I know we have different 
ranks of generals. You know, you've got brigadier general, major general, lieutenant general, general. Then we had five-star generals in the time of warfare. But what's higher than a general? I mean, the general is it, right? The general is in control. David here, when we say, well, he became a captain. Well, in, in, in the Air Force, a captain's an 03, right? Okay, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. David here is the general leading this force. David, as we've already talked about, was skilled in combat. He knew how to lead forces. David had slain his 10,000. David had been successful in leading the army of Israel. A.W. Pink, again, quotes uh, in commenting on uh, what's transpiring here in 1 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, Pink writes this. Those who sought David in the cave of Agilom turned their backs upon both the court of Saul and his purposes. There was none to pity them there. Now, then he poses these questions. Who cared for penniless paupers? Who had a heart for those in distress? And the answer is not Saul, not Saul's generals, but David. David had a concern for those and, you know, you can't lead somebody unless you have a concern for them. What is the difference between management and leadership? You manage things, right? We're looking at all the reports and all the statistics and all that kind of stuff. That's management. You lead people. You take the data from the reports and you say, oh, we're not doing something right. And you lead people to do what is right. That's leadership. And you know what is a critical, critical element of leadership? Concern for and compassion for your people. There are two elements that make the mission happen. Or that make sure the job gets done. The mission and the people. And the mission doesn't get done without the people. And so David understood that. David molded these 400 uh, men that were in distress and discontented and in debt. He molded them in to an expert fighting force. They were cultivated. They grew in number and ability because they were under expert command. But then notice as well. They expanded in their expertise and competence. Isn't it true that when you look at our nation's military, in in Perhaps you've seen somebody or known somebody, you had a family member, you knew them before they joined the military. And then they go off to basic training. And they come back. And they're not the same person. That long hair that they had is gone. The facial hair is gone. They hopefully, still today, get in shape, right? Hopefully... They have a little bit of military bearing about them even when they're not in uniform. They come home with some discipline. They're not the same person. They are cultivated in their ability. They certainly know how to do things that they never knew how to do. When I joined the Army when I was 17 years old and knew I'd be going to basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky, I never imagined that I would know how to take a 50 caliber machine gun apart and put it back together in under a certain matter of seconds. And you know what? They taught us how to do that. And we had 50 caliber machine guns mounted on our tanks. We had 219 coaxial machine guns mounted on our tanks. We had 45 caliber pistols, which were our personal defense weapon. And you know what? We knew them back and forth. 
in darkness and in light. We could take those things apart and put them back together. And, and we became skilled in something that we weren't familiar with. David's veterans did the same. He molded them into a fighting force just like our veterans are molded into a sleek fighting force. Now notice they expanded in their expertise and their competence. They expanded in number. Now in verse number 2, we find that it initially starts out as a force of 400, right? Now turn with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 3. Uh, excuse me, not 1 Samuel 23. Uh, let's see here. 13. 1 Samuel 23, 13. I'm sorry. Instead of 3, verse 13. 1 Samuel 23, 13. Then David and his men, now watch, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbore to go forth. Do you notice anything about that? In this brief time, David's fighting force grows from 400 to 600. And I want to show you something else about David's fighting force. Turn with me to the book of First Chronicles. Now, between First Samuel chapter 22 and what we're about to read in First Chronicles chapter number 12, about one year passed. Okay, so it goes from roughly 1028 BC to 1027 BC, because again, you count down, right? And so we're counting down from creation. So from 1028 to 1027 BC. Here we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, watch verses 22 and 23. And by the way, you want to hold your place in 1 Chronicles 12 because we're going to be coming back to that here in just a moment. But notice 1 Chronicles chapter 12, uh, verses 22 and 23. For at that time, day by day, there came to David to help him until it was a great host, like the host of God. And these are numbers of the bands that were ready, armed to the war, and came to David to Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. Now, we could well go in and read the rest of the chapter, but I'll leave you to do that on your own time. And it chronicles and it details all of the numbers of the increase of David's army. Beloved, when you have an army, that is focused on a right cause and expert leadership and under command that loves them and cares for them and takes care of them. These are individuals that are worthy of our honor. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see not only their expertise grow, but you're going to see their numbers grow. Have you noticed what's happening in our military right now? How many branches made their recruitment goal last year? To my knowledge, only one. And that was the Marine Corps. And the Marine Corps normally makes their numbers. They got smaller numbers, but you know what? They do a very effective job. And Brother Jim and I, both being in recruiting service, if we were to say, you know, out of all the branches, who would you say were the most honorable recruiters? In my experience, was all the Marine Corps recruiters. They generally didn't lie about the Air Force. They generally worked with us. We had respect one for another. Okay. One military branch, to my knowledge, made their recruitment goal last year. Huh. I wonder what's up with that. We ought to be thankful for those that have answered the call, thankful for our military veterans who have displayed honorable leadership and molding the troops into carrying out the mission and accomplishing what they're sent to do. Now, they expanded in their expertise and competence. Certainly, 
in number, but also in expertise. And I want you to notice here that this fighting force of David goes from these 400 that are discontent, distressed, and in debt to the best fighting force in the world. Now watch. We're in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. In 1 Chronicles chapter number 12, I want us to read verses 1 through 8. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Now, these are they that came to David to Ziklag, while he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. Now we go from these folks who have no experience and David molds them into a fighting force to now mighty men of valor. Mighty men who are willing to help David. Notice verse 2. They were armed with bows and can use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. And I'll tell you what, instead of reading all those verses uh, that details all of the names of those, I'm just going to tell you that in verse number 4, notice it says, And Ishmael the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the thirty and over the thirty. So there were thirty, and we know this from other messages and other sermons and studies in the Bible. There were thirty that were appointed to lead over all the armies of David. And these were the mightiest of the mighty. And then I want you to notice, skipping down to verse 16. Notice in verse 16, and we're going to read down through verse 20. And there came of the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold unto David. And David went out to meet them and answered and said unto them, If ye become peaceably, if you come, if ye become peaceably unto me to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. But if ye become to betray me to mine enemies, see, seeing there is no wrong in mine hands, the God of our fathers look thereon and rebuke it. Now watch the answer. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, Thine are we, David. And on thy side, thou son of Jesse, peace, peace be unto thee, and peace be to thine helpers, for thy God helpeth thee. Then David received them and made them captains of the band. And there fell some of Manasseh to David when he came with the Philistines against Saul to battle. But they helped him not, for the lords of the Philistines, upon advisement, sent him away, saying, He will fall to his master Saul to the jeopardy of our heads. As he went to Ziklag, there fell to him of Manasseh, Adnah, and Jazabad, and Jediel, and Michael, and Jazabad, and Elihu, and Zeltai, captains of the thousands that were of Manasseh. And they helped David against the band of the rovers, for they were all mighty men of valor, and were captains in the host. For at that time, day by day, there came to David to help him until it was a great host like the host of God. Do you, see, do you see how this grew and multiplied? David's compassion and care and concern and leadership is advertised back to the others. And they say, you know what? Here's a righteous cause. God is with David. Let us go join in in this righteous cause. Let us help David. And so we honor David's veterans, not just those 400 that started out, but the 600 and the multitude of hosts that grew into that army. We honor all of our veterans. We honor all of those that served in any time, whether wartime or peacetime. Whatever the job was, we honor them. We thank the Lord for them. And we move now into the third aspect of honoring David's veterans. We see the conquest of David's fighting force. Now, 
There are multiple separate passages of Scripture that we could look at that details the effectiveness of this fighting force that David formed, but we're not going to do that for time's sake. We're only going to look at one conquest, and that has to do with the immediate context of what happens in chapter 22, and that's found in chapter 23. And we'll be quick about this and be done. When we say the conquest of David's fighting force, we mean to say that they got the job done. They accomplished the mission. Whatever their job was, they accomplished it. They all didn't have the same job. And we could see that in 1 Samuel chapter number 30 where there were some that stayed back by the stuff at the brook Bezor and there were others that went forward into battle. We didn't all have the same job in the military. Some went into war and thankfully came back alive. Others didn't come back alive and we honor them not only today but also on Memorial Day. But we say we thank the Lord for those that sacrificed to accomplish the mission. David's veterans accomplished the mission. We look at their conquests. Notice here, first of all, that they had expectations of their commander. Expectations of their commander in verse number 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel chapter number 23. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they robbed the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. Now what I mean here when I say that this fighting force had expectations of their commander, they trusted that David would not lead them astray. They trusted their leadership. And isn't it true of the military member that you trust your leadership? There is a separation of powers in the military. Who is the ultimate commander-in-chief. It's the President of the United States. The President doesn't serve in the military, but the President of the United States is the commander-in-chief, and there's a division of authority there. And who makes the decisions? The commander-in-chief. And what does the military do? They say, we're going to trust the commander-in-chief, we're going to trust our leaders, we're going to trust our commanders, and we're going to do what we're told to do to accomplish the mission. David had a right desire. He sees the Philistines making an incursion unto uh, 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 an unjust cause. And David asked the Lord, should I go in and right this wrong? And the Lord answers David, yes, go in. There is a true need for the mission when appointed, whatever that task is. The military member isn't the one that wants to go to war and have to fight to the death. General Douglas MacArthur famously said, The soldier above all others prays for peace, for it is the soldier who must suffer and bear the deepest wounds and scars of war. And so the soldier doesn't want to go to war. They're not a warmonger, but they're there ready to fulfill the expectations of their commander and do what they are called upon to do. You know, all of us that were in the military, there were days when we're thinking, Why on earth am I doing this? What is the purpose of what I am doing? You know what? We did it. We accomplished the task. We did what our leaders told us to do. And then notice that in the conquest of David's fighting force, they exhibited courage. They exhibited courage because in verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 23, watch this. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Now, you, you read that, and it cracks me up. It cracks me up how people try to be tough. Okay, I don't fear anything. Well, you're either an imbecile 
or you're lying. Okay? I don't fear anything. You know, fear is a good thing. And we've gotten to this day in our society where, you know, we're, we're, it's unmanly to say we're afraid of something. It's not unmanly. What's unmanly is to not say you're afraid and inside be afraid and then flee because of your fears. That's unmanly. But to say that you have fears... Uh, man, listen, read Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 where David himself said that God helped him with his fears. And so these these men that have joined themselves up to David, they say, hey, you know what? Uh, we're afraid here because of what might happen to us with Saul and his army. How are we going to go fight against the Philistines? You know, the military member says, in spite of my fear, I will accomplish the mission. And what is courage? It is doing what is right in spite of the fear. It is being able by the grace of God to conquer that fear. It is going forward even when you are afraid. Can you imagine, and we've talked about this many, many a time, but you know, visiting the shores of Normandy. And, and you've seen movies that have, have, have realistically portrayed that saving private riot, right? I mean, you've seen that. Can you imagine what those 17, 18-year-old young men felt like that day? knowing that they were probably getting off of those boats to face death, seeing what is going before them, and you know what they did? They got off the boat. They exhibited courage. Beloved, David's fighting force exhibited courage, and our veterans exhibit courage, and you know what? Because they exhibit courage, and we'll close with this thought, it allows them to engage in the conflict. Because look at verses 4 and 5 of 1 Samuel 23. Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. He wanted to be sure that this was God's will that they go against the Philistines because his men are telling him, hey man, we're afraid. But watch verse 4. Then David inquired of the Lord yet again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hands. Into thine hand. Verse 5. So David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. They were afraid. But they exhibited courage and engaged in the conflict. They did not run from the fight. You know, it's, it's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to run. Now, you understand the context when I say that. Sometimes it's better to run and fight another day. Okay, I'm not saying that. But when the cause is righteous and you've sworn you're going to uphold the freedoms of this great land and it's time to put it on the line, you don't all of a sudden come out with the fact that, oh, well, I'm a conscientious objector. No, no, you're not. Stand up and do what's right. Face the battle. Trust your command and your leadership. David went back to the Lord and said, are we really supposed to do this? God said, yes. David, no doubt, goes back and says, men. I have assurance from God that this is what God wants us to do. Let us rise up and be like the men God wants us to be. Let us go forth and fight the battle. You respond to that kind of leadership. And so did they. And they, they made a conquest that day. It was a very great slaughter, according to what we read here in 1 Samuel 23. Well, we ought to honor our veterans. Just like we honor David's veterans. In fact, when we honor our veterans, it has a force-multiplying effect 
George Washington wrote, The willingness with which our young people are likely to serve in any war, no matter how justified, shall be directly proportional to how they perceive the veterans of earlier wars were treated and appreciated by their nation. And so how we treat our veterans makes all the difference in the world. We ought to honor our veterans. Saturday's Veterans Day. I salute our veterans. I honor our veterans for the sacrifices that you and your families have made. And I thank God for that. And I pray that God continues to lay it on the hearts of people here in the United States to rise to the cause. We looked at three aspects of David's veterans that help us honor them and by extension help us honor our veterans. The creation of David's fighting force, the cultivation of his fighting force, and the conquest of David's fighting force. Let's pray.